football for a long time. I was a quarterback. Brock was my coach growing up. Uh, taught me everything I know except for how to throw sidearm. He hated that. He always had to break that habit at the beginning of the season. Um, but uh, playing quarterback for many years, one of the hardest things to learn playing quarterback is to keep your eyes downfield after you hike the ball. It's very difficult. Why is it difficult? Because your instinct is you want to look at what's right in front of you. And what's right in front of you are giant defensive linemen who are taught from the very first day of football practice that whoever is the quarterback, kill them. All right? Kill them. Do whatever you can to take them out. And so it's very tempting to hike the ball and come back and to see, are any one of them getting through the line? And any one of my linemen not doing their jobs well? But you have to trust them. You have to keep your eyes downfield. It's very difficult. It's a hard thing. You got to trust. You got a little trial and error. But nevertheless, the axiom remains the same. You got to hang in there. You got to keep your eyes downfield. Um, I'm going to show you um, kind of the best to ever do it. Tom Brady. We have a picture. Tom Brady's the best pocket passer to ever do it, the best at keeping his eyes downfield. Part of the reason why is because he's slower than me, and so he couldn't get out if he tried. So his only recourse is to keep his eyes downfield and throw. This is the ideal pocket. His linemen are doing a great job. They're spread out. They're pushing the defenders away from him. He has plenty of room to maneuver, sidestep, and to make a throw. As you can see, the circle, he probably threw it to that right, right wide receiver. Now here's more realistically what a pocket actually looks like. That's more of a day-to-day play-by-play where you have those defensive linemen are really close. They're right about to hit them. This guy's one step away from absolutely obliterating his ribs. Everybody's around him. And nevertheless, the axiom remains true. Keep your eyes downfield. Get comfortable in the pocket as every quarterback is told <laughs> from day one. This is what I want you to get. If you're too focused on the things right in front of you, right in front of you, then you'll never be able to see what's available to you beyond what's in right in front of you. Quarterback has to keep his eyes downfield. He has to see where his receivers are going. If he looks down for a moment, he'll lose sight of his receivers. He won't throw a pass on time. It's not good. He's just going to be running around or getting sacked. You're so focused on that. If you're so focused on the difficult things, these are the things that I'm talking about are right in front of us. These difficult circumstances, these difficult things that we're holding on to in our minds, thinking about constantly. It's hard to see past them. It's hard to see the Lord, right? It's hard to have joy in the Lord. It's hard to worship the Lord, right? Is it not? Has that been your experience? Hard to come here on Sunday mornings and praise the Lord while I'm suffering. Hard to come here on Sunday mornings and be joyful in the Lord when I'm hurting. When I have anxiety or depression or this thing is happening at work or in my family or to me. It's hard, is it not? Is it not? We have difficult things in our lives. We have tough stuff that's trying to get through. It's trying to tackle you. It's trying to get you down. And if we focus on them too long, we dwell on these things. If we're constantly replaying them in our minds, if we're so absorbed by these things, man, we go from thriving in life 
to surviving? How can I just get through this? How can I just get away from this? How can I just get past this? Man, life can very quickly just become an itemized list. Man, I just want to get rid of this. just want to get rid of this. just want to accomplish this. It just comes cold and just task-oriented. How can I get out of this situation? You know, I'm a single guy. I'm 29 for the longest time. How can I get out of this single time of my life? I just got to get through it. Just got to grind. Put my head down. Grind. Is life meant to be lived that way? Just get through this stage, get through that stage, get through this thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know so. Man, we're not li- supposed to live passively. Just Man, we're supposed to live actively, to choose our footing, to choose where we're at. Boy, we get this in the Lord. Boy, the Lord has shown us we can do this. Boy, we have so many reasons to be joyful in the Lord and to rejoice in the midst of of the difficult things we're going through right now. Tough stuff. Boy, we have so many reasons for it. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, tomato, potato, right? All right. Uh, Lacey actually reminded me of this verse. Um, Love this verse. She actually reminded me of it in her vows to Jeremy um, in their wedding a couple weeks ago. Um, And I thought it was just so perfect and so needed. So open your Bibles to Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Habakkuk is one of those minor prophets, not because he wasn't a big deal, but just because his book is really short, so he's referred to as a minor prophet. <laughs> but he's towards the back of the Old Testament. Habakkuk is great. It's a short one. It's really great. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. We'll have it up on the board. Let's read together. He says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Oh, and here's one of my favorite, probably my all-time favorite poetic verse. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, he enables me to tread on the heights. Ooh, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love Habakkuk. Man, these are potential threats to Habakkuk. He could easily be consumed by this. Man, my crops are failing. I got no food. I don't have cattle. I don't have this. I don't have that. All these physical needs. You got to have food to survive, right? You got to make money. A lot of big agriculture Um, economy at that time, agrarian economy. Oh man, I don't have this. How am I going to sell this? How am I going to have money? How am I going to be able to take care of my needs? Maybe he had a family. How is he going to do all this? These are potential threats. They are right in front of him. They could easily draw his attention. He could become so focused, so hyper-focused on these things. It could totally steal his joy. He could totally be like, how is God good right now? I don't have food on the table. How could God be good? Who among you, if you did not have food to eat for a few days, would you start questioning God's goodness? I know I probably would to some degree. I'll be honest. Right? And yet, Habakkuk, so full of faith, so with the Lord, man, says, I will still rejoice though I don't have these things. Though I don't have these things, I will still remember God. You are good. You are my Savior. Oh, my gosh. This is what I want us to do. Your outline. I hope you grabbed one. 
If you didn't, write something down, pull out your phone, write it down. I think this is important. Golly, we all know you don't write something down, you're not going to forget it. I mean, come on now. Let's be real, all right? And if you write it down, you're still probably going to forget it in a few days. So, I mean, let's, let's try to get some through. Pull out those outlines. This is what I want you to do. I want you to fill this in, all right? Habakkuk's first line, though the fig tree does not bud, though this isn't happening, what's not happening in your life that you are thinking about? You're dwelling on it. It's getting you down. It's taking your attention. Your attention is on it. You're focused on it. You're thinking about it constantly or to some degree. It's getting you. It's getting to you. What isn't happening? Fill that out on that line. I had some examples to maybe help you. God isn't answering this prayer. And I'm, I'm focused on it. I'm maybe angry or I'm annoyed by it. It's getting me. I'm not seeing change in myself or others that I'm praying for. It's getting to me. I'm annoyed by it. I'm not getting any better in this sin. This isn't happening. I'm not seeing growth in this area. And I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. I'm starting to question God. And I'm not very happy with God. Why isn't this happening? Second one. And I don't have this. And the fields, uh, and there are no grapes on the vines. I don't have this. What is it that you don't have that's constantly taking up mental space in your brain and you're, you're absorbed by it or you're carrying it and it's getting to you and maybe you're frustrated at God because I don't have this thing. What could it be? Examples, again, I don't have enough money to feel secure. I don't have health, bodily, physical health. Don't have enough money to have the kind of Christmas I want to have. Don't have a wife, a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Don't have rec recognition, respect, justice. I'm not getting this thing, and I'm frustrated right now, and I'm focusing on it, and it's absorbed. I'm absorbed with it. Let's keep moving on. The next verse. Though the olive crop fails, though this keeps failing, what keeps failing in your life that's frustrating you? What keeps failing in your life that's just getting to you? Again, fight against sin. I keep failing. Never getting any better in this area. Keep failing. Keep failing. Trying to, you know, read the Bible more. Pray more. Keep failing. Keep failing. You know, my, pay, my prayers feel like they're failing. They're not, nothing's coming of it. My attempts to carry out what I believe is God's will for my life keeps failing getting to me. Frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. What is it? Fill it out. And the next verse. And the fields produce no food. And nothing is coming of this. Nothing is coming of this. What's something in your life that nothing is coming of this? It's annoying you. It's frustrating you. It's angering you. I'm reading my Bible, but nothing is coming out of it. Nothing is coming from it. I'm praying, and nothing's coming from it. I'm worshiping God, nothing's coming from it. I'm loving this person, and they are, feel like they're more of a jerk now. Nothing's coming of this. I thought if I loved this person, they would change. Now they're getting worse. What's not coming of it? Man, I'm working really hard in my work, and nothing's coming of it. 
What's frustrating you? What's on your mind? What's getting to you? Though there are no sheep in the pen, again, though I don't have this, what's something else you don't have? It's getting to you. It's on your mind. It's frustrating. And I don't have that. And no cattle in the stalls, though I don't have that. Again, write these things down. What's on your mind? What's getting to you? And yet he ends with all these things, all these things he probably dearly wanted. I kid you not. Nobody would go to Habakkuk and be like, Ah, he didn't really want these things. Of course he wanted these things. <laughs> and yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. It's hard to see what's going on downfield when you're focused on what's right in front of you. It's hard to see God and to experience God, to have joy in the Lord, when you can't see past those things that are on our minds, those things we want, those things we don't have, the things that's not coming, nothing's coming up, things we're failing in. It's hard to be joyful in the Lord. Boy, it's hard to be joyful in the Lord when you're waiting on something. Is it not? Well, it's hard to be joyful in the Lord when you just want this thing to go away. Man, I'm not saying, real quick point, I'm not saying we ignore these things. Definitely not saying that. Because no quarterback ignores defensive linemen. <laughs> he doesn't pretend they're not there. He has to make sidesteps. He has to make different things. But he's not absorbed by him. He doesn't come up to the line and say, oh, gosh, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, you know, the Bosa brothers, right? They're not saying that. He's looking downfield. He's like, all right, bring it on. Let's go. And he's like, oh, crap. You know, not ignoring them. He's trusting God. You don't ignore, he trusts. Habakkuk is trusting God in the midst. He's getting comfortable being uncomfortable. He's getting comfortable in the pocket. How do we grow in this, all right? How do we grow in this? How, how can we get here? How can we become like Habakkuk? How can we say all these things that you wrote down, though this isn't happening and I don't have this and daddy yada, I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will still have joy in the Lord. How can we get to that place, all right? Well, it's found in Habakkuk, actually. Man, Habakkuk, one of the greatest contributions the whole canon of Scripture comes in Habakkuk 2.4. This is an important one. You, it'll sound familiar. I don't have it up there. I apologize. I'll read it. But if you're in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by faith. Sound familiar? The righteous person will live by faith. Some of your versions might say, will live by his faithfulness. We do not have time to get into that debate. It is a big debate. There is a lot going on there. It is actually heavily debated in Paul's writings. We don't need to get to that. It's fine. You totally, we can just read it as the righteous person will live by faith. All right? Habakkuk is not saying this uh, just willy-nilly like he has no street cred. So I want to give you a little bit of back story to Habakkuk. All right? Uh, it's believed this book, Habakkuk, was dated, was written anywhere between 612 B.C. to 586 B.C., all right? Um, give you some historical context. Uh, Assyria, before 612, Assyria, we'll go to the map just so people can see it. Uh, Assyria was kind of the dominating power at this time in the region. Now, you can see Judah and Jerusalem. Um, if you'll recall, 
Judah and Jerusalem were the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern part, it's not identified on this map, was Israel. Um, again, there was a little bit of civil war between Israel. Um, you can read about this, First and Second Kings. That's your book. Uh, so they split off southern kingdom Judah, northern kingdom, kingdom Israel. Assyria's big claim to fame is that they took over Israel in 722 B.C. All right, they conquered uh, Israel. It's a whole big thing. Again, First and Second Kings is your book to read about that. Syria was this great world power. Well, what happened is that in 612 B.C., Babylon, or the Chaldeans, kind of the synonyms for the same people group area, they came and conquered Assyria. They conquered Nineveh. Nineveh was their capital in 612 B.C. Babylon, it becomes now this world power. Um, you will see in Habakkuk chapter 1 that God is doing something you wouldn't believe if, you, if I told you. He's raising up the Babylonians. So that's why we date that book around there. The Babylonians are kind of starting to get going, conquered Nineveh. And then as again, if you read First and Second Kings, you'll know that Babylon eventually comes down and conquers Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Throw the other map up there. I like old maps, but I also like modern day maps. Just so you can have a reference, use the Mediterranean Sea as your reference point. But that's kind of the territory that they were dealing with modern day. So you can see Babylon was probably somewhere in Iraq, southern Iraq, kind of took over more Iraq, Syria, came down the Mediterranean coast, um, and then it's kind of helpful. If you're a history buff, geography, I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> but check this out. Habakkuk's living in the midst of this time period, right? Again, if you read Habakkuk, he's, he's lamenting to God. Why is there all this wickedness? Probably talking about the wickedness of, of Judah right now. There's wicked people, so he's frustrated with that. There's no justice. There's violence. And he knows as a prophet that, hey, our covenant with God really depends on us following God and obeying. And he knows there's consequences if we don't obey this. So he's carrying that weight that there's going to be punishment. And then God tells him straight up, yeah, Babylonians are going to be my punishment. I'm going to use this people to punish uh, Israel, Judah, for their disobedience. All right? So now he has to live with that. Okay, great, we're doing wickedness, and now a, a greater wicked people are now going to be used by God to punish us. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, 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 that's great. Cool. All right. And then again, if he lived through the 586 conquering of Jerusalem, again, you'll recall in First and Second Kings, how, how, how do you take down a city back then? I mean, it's more, we do it differently modern day. You siege it, right? You cut off all access points. You cut off all food, all supplies, and you let people starve to death. And I kid you not, in First and Second Kings, you will find some very gruesome, gruesome, horrible language of what happens in a city where people are starving to death and what people will do when you don't have things to eat and you don't have things to drink. If he is living in the midst of that situation, this dude's got street cred. This dude lived through some stuff. This dude had some things that he could easily be like, God, you're not good. God, I hate you. You did not do this. You did not do that. You're full of it. I don't even want to serve you even if you are real. Because my whole life is being uprooted. And we're getting punished. And there are terrible consequences. And we, worse yet, you have this even wicked, more wicked people than us. Babylon, whose, whose strength is their idol, as Habakkuk will say is coming down, and they're going to take us over? And then you're going to take us out of our land, our inheritance? 
This will go on forever, folks. Habakkuk had street cred. Boy, he had difficulties, undoubtedly. He lived through tough, tough times. And yet the axiom and his words remain, the righteous person will live by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, there are so many difficulties in our lives. Nobody, nobody is exempt from it. Job, I think Job 5, Job 5 something. Man was born to suffer as sparks fly upward. The Fray, the band The Fray used that in a song uh, off an album one time. I loved it. Man, women are born to suffer as sparks fly upward. No one is exempt. No one gets out unscathed. There are difficulties. There are so many unknowns, so many things beyond our control in this life. So many questions about God. God, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? God, where are you? God, why is this happening? There are so many of those. And Habakkuk's greatest contribution to the canon of Scripture that rings true in the midst of all of those things is this, the righteous person will live by faith. The righteous person will trust God in the midst of those difficulties, of those tough things, whether they're internal, anxiety, depression, anything going on in your mind, whether they're external, there's something happening outside of you, but it's pressing in on you, he says again, the righteous person will live by faith. Man, how can we grow in faith, guys? How can we get there? How can we grow in this? I don't know if there's really much to it. There's not some like secret formula to trusting. How do we trust people? You know, how do I trust my parents? Well, my parents said, Grant, don't do this. And I probably did it to some degree. And I was like, oh, man, they were actually right. This was bad. This was not good, right? And then they told me, hey, you should do this. And maybe sometimes in the moment I was like, okay, that makes sense. I did it. You're right. That was good. But maybe years later I was like, oh, my parents were actually right about this. This is actually a good thing for me to be doing. Hmm. Right? We listen to somebody, take them by the word, and we go and do it. We see what happens. Man, look, when I was playing football, I broke a finger. And I can't remember exactly what was going on in my mind, but I remember my dad and Brock were both like, Grant, you can play with a broken finger. That's probably fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. I think sixth grade. And at the time, I'm pretty sure I'd probably been like, I don't know if I can play with a broken finger. This is football. I'm a sixth grader. I can't play with a broken finger. Golly, fingers get jacked up in a game. You know what? They said you can do this. You know what? I went out and I did it. And guess what? It was like son of a gun. I could play football with a broken finger. And you know what was awesome about that experience? Is that in high school I played with a hyperextended shoulder on my throwing arm because I was like, you know what? I can do this. Ugh. You know? I can do this. Golly, I remember the first time I took a really big hit to the head and you're like, oh, my face hurts and I feel like I have a bloody nose, but I don't. And then Brock, dad, Get back up, Grant. You can do this. Come on. Get back in that game. You're like, oh, no, wait, no, I can't. I can't. Who are you? You know? What did I eat this morning for breakfast? No. You know? But you get back in there, and you're like, son of a gun. I can get back up. Okay, that hurt. I may have once or twice been 
you know, crying as I'm saying, down, say, hi, you know, I kid you not. But guess what? I kept going and, and I realized I can, I can do this. I can actually do this. Man, I kid you not. You know, again, I mentioned it. I'm 29 and I'm single. And I could easily look at it again as, woe is me. This is just the worst. How can I get through this phase in my life? But I, it really dawned on me, no, son of a gun, Grant. I've, I've lived this long. I can, I can actually do this. I can actually stand in this place of my life and actually be content and happy and joyful. Uh, why does this have to be like just grind it out? Like, why can't it be like, no, I, I've done it this long. Maybe I can actually do this. You know, maybe I can actually uh, uh, stand in this place of singleness and be happy and, and not feel like, oh my gosh, I'm missing out, or oh my gosh, come on, Lord, what, what's going on? My whole life is absorbed around this thing. No, I can actually trust God and, 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 and stand in this place of uncomfortability, right? I don't want us to lose this point. This is like the un, un, um, uh, I just, uh, unexpected point of this sermon. Because I think sometimes the Lord is saying, I want you to step out in faith. And it's like, oh, we step out, we do it, and like, oh, gosh, I did it. Okay, don't have to do it again. No, I think the Lord is saying, no, I want you to step out in faith and do it and see that you can do it, that I can help you do it so that you can keep doing it, and it can become easier and easier and easier. Right? I never liked roller coasters growing up. You guys know me. I don't like heights. It's really make me nervous. But I got on a roller coaster, and I could have easily been like, okay, I did it. You guys, I did it. You guys wanted me to do it. I did it. I'm done. I'm not doing it again. Or, and thank the Lord I did this, I was like, oh, I could actually do that. Ooh. Okay, we're going to go on that one? Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I did that one. I think I could do this one. Oh, and I get you nuts, sweaty palms, all the things. Don't talk to me right now. I'm embracing myself. You know, all those things. I could do that. But I kid you not, I've done that for 10 plus years. And now I'll get a little nervous. I kid you not. I'll get a little nervous. But I'm not like I used to be. I'll get on that ride. I'll go ride any ride right now with anybody in the world. I might be a little nervous, but I'm not as hesitant and I'm not as against it. Why? Because I, I built confidence. I, I, I took that confidence that faith gives you. I didn't see it as, oh, I just got to accomplish this. Oh, I just got to get through this. Oh, I just got to do this because people want me to do this or because God is, is leading me to do this. No, I'm building confidence in the Lord that, oh, when he says I can do this, I can do this. And I can keep going in it. And I can keep moving in it and keep growing. Man, we want to get to a place where Habakkuk is saying, though I don't have this and I don't have that and this isn't happening and I don't this and don't that. Man, we got to build confidence in the Lord, faith in the Lord. We got to trust Him. We got to keep our eyes on Him. Fix our eyes on God. Man, keep our eyes on Him. Stop, stop getting absorbed. Man, I kid you not, playing football, you can get real scared real quick by linemen, defensive linemen. They're big. They're way bigger. I was never very big for my age. They're way bigger than me, way stronger than me. Gosh, I've taken some hits that, oh, oh, right? And I kid you not, I won't lie to you. You play football, you're going to take a hit. I mean, you just, you just not. You're playing quarterback, you're going to take a hit. You live life, you're going to take some hits, all right? 
And if you take that hit and you're like, okay, I'm done, you miss, you miss a great opportunity. A great opportunity to grow in confidence, a great opportunity to move forward, a great opportunity to realize that you have something in you that you can keep going. And man, I'm going to relate this to the Holy Spirit and God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And, and, and boy, there's a lot to the Holy Spirit, but I'll put it in these terms, and this is by no means all of it. Holy Spirit is, is I could relate it to drive, energy, this thing permeating inside of you, coming out through you, that's moving you towards, towards God's ends, towards His will. It's that thing inside you that says, keep going. Keep following. It gets you back up. When I was a football player, I wanted to win. And boy, when I'd take a hit, it'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. But then it was like, no, no, we want to win. we got to keep going. And guess what? You had teammates that help you up. You had teammates that remind you of that. Let's, let's keep going. Get back in there. Come on, we're doing this together. We have each other in the church that say, hey, let's keep going. You got knocked down. You had a tough week. You're going through this. Man, let's support each other. Let's keep reminding us of that. That drive, that goal, that thing we're pressing towards. Our hope in the Lord. Our faith in Him. That God is sovereign. That God is in control. God is in control. Babylon couldn't do nothing unless God allowed it. Right? God is in control of your life. All the circumstances around you He's in control. It's not chaos. It's not random. It's not uh, someone slid one in past God. He knows. He's sovereign. And what does He say? I have given you the feet of a deer that you may stand on the heights. I have given you the feet of a deer. In football terms, He's given you the strength to stand in the pocket. When it's collapsing, when it looks scary, when there are people up in your face, and there are difficult things in your life that are right there. He has given you the strength to stand there, to keep your eyes on Him, and to do what He's called you to do. He has given you the strength to stand in the midst of these hard things that you wrote down. He has given you the strength to say, oh, I might be able to actually do this. And to not lose my head, not lose my cool, remain confident in Him, to keep my eyes on God. As Hebrews 12.2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Okay, God's doing something. Jesus is doing something in my life. All right. Man, He might be pushing me. He might be making it so bad that I finally start talking about stuff to other people. Right? He might be making things so hard that I finally start actually putting my faith in Him because I have no recourse. I have no other option. I can't do it. I just All my options, many, I, now all I have left is I have to trust God. He might be doing that. Boy, He could be doing a lot of stuff in our life. Are you going to fix your eyes on Jesus? Or are you going to become absorbed with the difficult things in our life? Become absorbed. Man, in conclusion, why can you rejoice in the Lord? Why can you be joyful in God. I'm going to call Jason up. Man, we have a lot of reasons. I want you to write that down if you have something that comes to mind. For me, again, it's the Sovereign Lord is my strength. That's why I can rejoice. Sovereign Lord is my strength. I'm not my strength. I'm not my hope. I'm not my confidence. 
the sovereign Lord is and what I know about God and what he's revealed in Scripture, I'm pretty confident in him. And that gives me a lot of confidence and peace of mind. But I also, man, we get to worship the Lord, right? We get to rejoice in the Lord. We get to be uh, joyful in the Lord. Wh- how would worship, what would worship look like if you really trusted God with those things in your life? If you really let them go for four minutes, five minutes, and you really worship God, and you really praise them for who He is, and for all the great things that He's done in your life, currently doing, and all that He is, all that He is able to do, His majesty, His beauty, all that He's done in Jesus as we're coming into the Advent season, as we're celebrating Christmas, coming to earth, saving us from our sins. We didn't deserve it. We weren't good enough. Boy, all the great hope that we have of eternal life, forgiveness of sin. What would worship look like if we really focused on Jesus rather than these difficult things or all these other things we got going in our life? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Well, guess what? That's what we're going to do right now. That's why I encourage you. Trust God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's giving you the strength to do it. Now build some confidence in God by doing it. Amen? Stay with me this morning.
Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives in the past. Thank you for what you're doing now. We trust you for the future. God, we praise you for your son, Jesus. Help us not to forget and rejoice and be glad for Jesus and all that he did, all he's come to do, God. Oh, God, and what he's still doing in heaven. God, we do give you our hearts. We do praise you. We are joyful in you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 